would be be about um, communicating your word as best um, as best I can, Lord. And I pray that the folks who are here would would hear from you, Lord. That they wouldn't hear me. That they wouldn't hear what what I think. Uh, that they would hear from you and come to know you more intimately. In Jesus' name, Amen. I uh, I forgot to grab a glass of water before I came up. Can I ask uh, someone to grab a glass of water for me? Um, my wife and I. One of our favorite times as, as a married couple is traveling. Um, I, I'm not sure why that is. I think it's because we're forced to, to spend time talking to each other. What am I doing wrong? Oh, children's church. If you are a small child, we're going to hit pause on that. If you are a small child, uh, this is the time when we would uh, dismiss you to go to children's church. And so, uh, um, I don't know, is somebody taking them down? or Four or five years old, uh, can you take them down, Lori? Uh, Lori will lead the way, and, and so this would be the time to head for Children's Church. And so uh, this is your reprieve. You don't have to listen to the boring man talk um, unless you want to. Um, so, oh, I had a slide that said that, too, dismiss the children. Um, it was for me. It was a prompt, and I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't use it. Yeah, I did. Um, so uh, my wife and I, one of our favorite things to do is, is travel because we have all this time to talk and everything else. But one of the most frequent conflicts we have in traveling, driving long distances, is who gets to drive when. Um, I, I, this is because my wife is, is a much better driver. Um, but I, I like to put in the majority of the driving because she's the one of us that can sleep in the car. Right? And so she'll fall asleep and I'll drive for as long as she'll remain asleep. And then she'll wake up and realize I let her sleep for five hours, and she'll yell at me, and I'll say, oh, I'll I'll stop in a little bit, and I'll put on NPR and slowly lull her back to sleep, and, (laughs) and, um, (laughs) no, I don't put on NPR. (laughs) Even I have my limits of torture. Um, I'm picking on Michael. He's a big, anyway, um, (laughs) so, so, um, there have been a couple of occasions uh, once when we, were, when we were moving from Texas to California, and we'd only been married a few weeks, and um, um, we picked an unusual road to go on. It was the loneliest road in America, and that was like every you know, hour there was a sign that said, you're on the loneliest road in America. And, and what I figured out on this loneliest road in America is that like, the gas stations were about 220 miles apart each. And I was towing a car. I had a pickup truck, and I was towing a car on a dolly. And in the middle of the night, like, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning, um, I'm zipping along, and Jess has been sleeping for a while. And, and I, I, I stopped, and I got gas, and I started moving again. And about 30 miles down the road, there was another gas station. And I thought, well, I just got gas. I don't need to stop again. And I ignored the sign that said, next gas. 250 miles. Now, an hour or so later, I'm driving along. I'm looking at the gas tank, the gauge, and the gauge has a little light next to it. And and I had to wake my wife up, and and I was a little panicky. And I said, honey, can you get out the map and find somewhere for us to stop? Um, At that point in time, I was so committed to what I was doing, there was no going back, right? Um, a smart man would have realized, you know, watched the signs that said, next town, 100 miles. Uh-oh, that's a problem. I didn't do that. I kept going. 
Um, and because of that, I couldn't turn around. Um, that's one instance, and I got another instance I'm going to tell you, and we're going to, I'm going to work it back in. I'm not just telling stories, okay? Um, the other time this happened to me, um, we were going to Texas from Indiana, and my wife fell asleep, and I let her sleep for about four hours, and along the way I missed a turn, which was about 30 minutes after she fell asleep. It was a dumb and dumber moment for me. <laughs> and after she woke up, I expected her to be pleasantly surprised that I had driven a huge chunk of our journey while she slept there. And, and she woke up, and she looked, and she said, Eric, what highway are you on? I, said, I don't know. I've just been driving straight. <laughs> well, as it turns out, <laughs> that was a bad idea. Um, and we were way out of our way, and instead of saving us, you know, her all this effort, I basically got kicked out of the driver's seat, and she turned the car around and drove three and a half hours back to our turn, and I, and I heard about it for the next ten years, um, and rightly so. She was right. I, I should have paid attention. I should have not let her sleep through the turn, um, so whose fault is it? Um, but as I'm telling these stories about turning around, like, like have you all ever, like, made a mistake, and once you realized you had made the mistake, there was a point in time where you said, I either need to turn around and go back, or I just need to stick with it, and I'm going to go with this mistake all the way to the end. You ever been in that spot? Is it just me, really? <laughs> um, there's a word in the Old Testament that in Hebrew translates differently to English. Um, the word is repent, right? The word repent means, like there's three times it's used in the Old Testament, and it more or less means turn around and go back, right? Um, and, and it's very often the case, it's easy to get stuck in this mindset that this is what I'm doing, I'm staying the course, right? Even after you realize you've made a horrible error, sometimes you think, because like, I, I don't know, maybe some of the other guys in the room know this, like there are times when I'm lost, but I'm going to keep going because I'm sure if I go long enough, I'm going to figure out where I am, Right? You know, and it's better to keep driving than to ask. Um, <laughs> um, but there are other instances where this comes up, and we'll come back around to it. We're talking about the gospel according to Jesus, like, um, and I want to give a little background before I dive into the message here. We're going to talk about, about the idea of repenting and what that means and what's going on there. Last week, we started looking at, like, the gospel as Jesus preached it. Um, I want to clarify and say the gospel that Jesus preached is not different from the gospel in the rest of the Bible, right? Like, so you've got Jesus showing up in, in the gospels, Genesis, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he preaches what he preaches, and then you've got, like, Paul and Peter and all these other guys, and there's been this tendency in the church to take Jesus and his words and sort of put them over here, and we focus on this part. And this has resulted in some kind of weird stuff coming about. Um, one of the big ideas, one of the fundamental ideas of the gospel is you are saved by grace. You cannot, now hear me say this, and I cannot say this clearly enough. This is the big underlying point. You cannot earn your way to heaven, right? You cannot be good enough to go to heaven. You cannot feed enough poor kids. You cannot, you know, like you just can't do it. There is no I am good enough. There are folks who live their whole lives figuring if I do enough bake sales and put enough money in the offering plate and do this and do that and try not to swear, and I may not like that guy, but I won't say it out loud. I'll just hate him in my heart because that's what Jesus would do. And like I do all of these things, and eventually I'm going to climb that stairway and I'll end up in heaven, 
And like, I'll show up at the door and Jesus is going to be there. and He's going to pile up all my good deeds. And he's going to say, look, the good deed side of the scale is way bigger than the other side. You're awesome. Welcome to heaven. That's not how it works. Everybody with me? No earning it. And the reason you don't earn it is because it's a gift. Right? It is a gift in the sense that God gives us salvation. You only have to have faith in Jesus. Like Jesus died for my sins. Um, He took punishment for every rotten, awful thing I ever did. Um, and, And when that happened, God traded our permanent record where like from then on he looked at Jesus and saw all my bad stuff and he looked at me and saw all my good, all his good stuff. And from then on out, I'm, I'm forgiven. It's faith in Jesus that saves you. That's it. Right? Now, here's where it gets tricky. Um, the modern church has done this weird thing where it split them in half and it said, well, faith is what saves you and that's it. So all you have to do is have faith once and then you're on your way. Don't worry about following. Don't worry about those commandments. Don't worry about not murdering folks. Faith is it. Faith is it. But... Um, We talked about this last week, that as much as Jesus talked about faith, and he talked about faith a lot, he also talked about how you live, right? Because um, as it turns out, Jesus dying for our sins, forgiving us and saving us, was so that we could have a relationship with him. Because God created us, right? God created us um, for the purpose of knowing him. I have kids. I love my kids, right? I had them because every once in a while I want to play with them, right? If I had had children and walked away and never spent any time with them, I would not be a very good parent. Everybody with me? There's going to be a day when they're teenagers and they want to have nothing to do with me. And I'm still going to want to spend time with them, even though I'm going to want to strangle them at the same time, right? Everybody who has teenagers knows how this is, right? Like, the reason we're saved is so we can have a relationship with God. Like, we are saved for this purpose, so that we can be close to God, so we can walk with him, so we can spend time with him, so we can, like, like fill our lives with his grace and his love and become what we were meant to be. This is the purpose. It's not so that you can be better than everyone else. It's so that you can be in a relationship with Jesus. I married my wife so I could spend my life with her, right? And I love spending time with her. I follow Jesus because, um, because I love him, because I want to be close to him. Um, this is the purpose. This is what we are saved for. There is a purpose in it. It's not just so that you can, you know, I'll sit on a cloud and play a harp one day. Um, it's not like that. It's so I can be in a relationship with God. Um, now, there's this crazy thing that happens, though. Um, there are folks who will come along and say, well... But Jesus says all this stuff, and that's all rules. It's law. And everything after Jesus dies is gospel. And so Jesus' teachings don't apply, and everything else does. That's nonsense, right? That's all one and the same. Like, God doesn't change his mind halfway through. And so we're going to work over the next few weeks through what Jesus had to say about being saved, what he had to say about, like, like salvation, and we're going to try and understand this. Um, real quick, the word repent in the Old Testament has three meanings. To turn back or return right? Turning back, retirement or withdrawal, and to regret, be sorry, or console oneself. Now, watch this. These three meanings, like we tend to forget, you know, well, I'm supposed to confess my sins to Jesus and then I'm done. Well, actually, repenting means like, hey, I've been doing this stuff and now I've got to cut it out, right? Um, I read an interesting article um, preparing for this message where this pastor was talking about, well, you know, you only beat your wife once a week now, and that's horrible, and you're repenting, so go down to once a month. Well, no, stop beating your wife, 
right? Like, obviously, this is the way it would be. You would never, like, say, oh, well, Jesus is okay with me because I cut back. Repent means turn around and go the other way. If there's stuff you're doing that's messing up, cut it out. Everybody with me? And it's not just stop doing it. It's change your heart so it becomes easy. Um, Years ago, I I quit smoking. Anybody here ever quit smoking? That is a bundle of joy. Um, (laughs) When I quit smoking, I quit about... Actually, I was great at quitting. I did that about 100 times a week. Um, (laughs) It was the long-term quit that got, you know, quit quitting was the problem. Um, And I I found that I did not become successful at it as long as the days I had stress, I needed something to jump in and fill in the gap. Everybody with me? Like, as long as I was like, oh, I'm so mad, I need something to distract me, I need a cigarette. Well, no. It wasn't until my heart changed and then I began to handle my stress differently and began handling the world around me differently that, like, that changed. And this is what God calls us to. Repentance means to turn around and go back from your behavior, but it also means to become a different person. It means to change your heart. It means to become different, wholly different, to be recreated. So, like, I didn't just start treating my wife better when I found Jesus or when Jesus, like, really woke me up to to following him properly. I didn't just start treating her better. I started loving her better, and that made me treat her better. Um, We're going to kind of dive into repentance, but actually I want to start with a passage I was going to use, and then I didn't, and I'm going to read it to you all, so it's not even going to be on the screen. Ignore the one on the screen, because we're going to go off the rails really early, Um, but I'm going to do my best not to get too lost. This is uh, Jesus talking because this whole sermon series is about what Jesus had to say about the gospel. Um, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So Jesus is talking to folks who are like super convinced that they're awesome. I have got it down and I am better than the rest of you, right? You know, have any of y'all ever known folks like that? Here's an uglier question. Have any of y'all ever been that guy? You're like, man, I may not be very good, but at least I'm better than him. Um, he goes on, so Jesus tells him this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, The beginning of following Jesus is recognizing, like, this basic truth, right? We need him. Everybody with me? It's not complicated. We need him. I cannot climb to heaven on my own. I need him. The days that I tried to be good on my own, I failed miserably. It was astonishingly, like, it's astonishing to me how good I am at being bad. Anybody else in this boat, or is it really just me? (laughs) My wife raised her hand. Um, (laughs) I love you, honey. Um, (laughs) That's why you sit in the back, so that um, we need him. Um, Jesus, in the like biggest lump of sermon he did in the in the New Testament, Matthew five is the Sermon on the Mount five six and seven. Read it when you get home; it's amazing. Um, he starts out with this great 
like set of sayings, the Beatitudes. And the first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to recognize that spiritually you got nothing. Right? I cannot earn my way to heaven, and I am not perfect, and I ain't better than that guy, and I ain't better than that guy, and I ain't better than that guy, and I ain't better than that guy. I need Jesus to save me. Because if I approach God and say, you're lucky to have me, God's going to take an attitude about that, right? I mean, to put it on parallel, if I approach my wife and say, honey, you are lucky I married you. Man, you are such a blessed woman to have gotten a handsome husband who's good with words and funny, (laughs) being funny right now, a hero to children, a rescue of the elderly. Like, honey, how how would that go over? (laughs) Find a spot on the couch? Um, Any women in this room going to buy that? Um, actually, the other way around is probably, I'm lucky she married me. Um, in reality, in reality, when we approach God, poor in spirit is the beginning. It's repentance. It's saying, God, I love you, and I need you, right? We cannot approach God from a place of pride. We cannot approach God and say, I'm here. <laughs> Be ready for, like, the man is here, right? Um, you're lucky to have me following you, God. Thankfully, I'm not like that jerk over there. Um, It's not how God accepts us. It's not how he deals with us. The beginning of the gospel that Jesus preached was repentance, right? Turn around, go the other way. Um, Actually, John the Baptist, when he started out his preaching, like John the Baptist is out there. He is the guy, he's the announcer that Jesus is coming. He is God's like herald, you know, out there blowing a horn in the wilderness for, for the nation to get ready. God is coming. Um, I'm going to just quote him because, like, honestly, it's important. And he, John the Baptist, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So, like, John the Baptist went around and he said to folks, repent, be washed, wash away your past, become a new person. But it begins with repentance. Turn the other way, become a new man. Um, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. By the way, a brood of vipers is a pile of rattlesnakes. Right? Do we have them around here? Some of you all have seen a rattlesnake den. Right? He talks to these religious leaders, the holy men, and he says, look, guys, you're a pit of rattlesnakes. Who told you, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to make these stones to rise up as, Abraham's, or as children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Um, So what's John saying here? First off, he calls them snakes. And he says, listen, the things that come out of your life should reflect the fact that your heart has changed and you're going the other way. You know, like the way you treat people, the attitude you have, the way you approach God, like, like who you are should reflect the fact that you're repenting. And if it's not, like, then you're not repenting. Right? Like, if I keep driving on the wrong highway and I end up in California instead of Houston, the weather will be nicer. Um, But I'll have gone in the wrong direction and the fruit of my driving will be wrong. Everybody with me? Um, Especially since, well, anyway. Um, So he says, listen, you guys are out there and you're bragging. We're sons of Abraham. And what that means is they're saying, hey, we're Jews and we're Jews like by birth and by blood. And that's why we're awesome. Um, And he's saying, listen. 
being a son of Abraham doesn't mean anything. What's going on in your heart is what means something. Now watch this. Um, throughout the Old Testament, we see like the prophets condemning the Jewish people for resting on the fact that God picked them. You know, oh, well, we're Jews. We're God's chosen people. He loves us, and so we can do whatever we want. We'll even worship other gods because we're set, because we're Jewish. And God would say, well, listen, that's not how it works. I chose you to be in a relationship with me, to be my people. I love you. You're supposed to love me back. And they ignored it. Um, and it eventually cost them big. Right? Like all kinds of awful stuff comes down the pipe because they refuse to follow him and they refuse to love him and be his people. Um, now, it's easy to stand here and say, oh, well, those guys, they messed it up. But how many of us at one time in our lives or other have sat there and said, well, I've been a Christian all my life? Right? I'm a Methodist by family. I'm not picking on the Methodists because of that. I'm sorry. I don't know why. You know, I'm, I've been a Christian by family. My grandparents went to church. I've been going to church for 50 years. Can't tell by how I treat people. I mistreat my spouse. I, you know, steal from folks regularly. But I've been going to church long enough that I'm saved. I'm one of God's chosen people. It's silly. It's not the truth at the end of the day. I know men who will say, well, <laughs> yeah, I look at the adult websites. I, I'm into porn. I get drunk. I do all of these things. But you know what? I'm still saved and God forgave me. And in the end, like when you look at how Jesus approached preaching... He approached it first saying, repent, have faith in me, do this. Like, like, and that's what it means to follow Jesus. It begins with having faith that he died for us and then backing up and taking a serious stock of who we are and saying, am I in the right place? And then from that point forward, it's training to become better. I woke up years ago and realized I was one of the worst husbands I knew, which is quite, a, quite an accomplishment. Um, I realized I was one of the worst husbands I knew, and I had to put all this effort into becoming better. And it was little things every day, and I had to look for things. And eventually, I had to, like, it took me years to convince my wife to tell me all the things that I was doing wrong so I could do better. And now I, I, I realize, as time goes by, I want to do these things for her because I love her, because I want to be a good husband, right? It was a process of changing and becoming better. Um, sanctification is the Holy Spirit working in me and helping me recognize this is a part of my walk with Jesus as my life with my family, right? But the more it stuck, the better it got, the more I became different. I, 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 it's going to sound silly. Toilet paper rolls. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm not the only, this isn't our house only, right? But I'm picking a little one because it's easy, right? Toilet paper rolls. Yes. Honey, what are, what's one thing that I do wrong? Well, you'd never, I, I hate that there's always an empty roll, like, in the bathroom. I, twice a day now, I walk through the house and look. I change the toilet paper rolls in restaurants. <laughs> I change them in other people's houses. Um, because I'm awesome? No, because I've realized that this is a part of loving the people around me, Right? It started with, this is how I love my wife. I changed the toilet paper roll. Well, that hardly seems anything. Can't I bring her flowers? The flowers mean a lot less to her, I think, than that roll. Is it true? Um, because it's in the moment of loving my wife that does it. Um, the same applies to our following Jesus. We are not, um, like, we're, we're saved not because, you know, like, we're awesome and he saves us. But we're saved so that we can be in love with him and walk with him. And that means finding things to do to serve him and to love him. It means expanding that outward. Isn't that earning my salvation? No, I'm already saved before I started doing that stuff. But because I'm saved, because I'm forgiven, I live different. Um, I'm already married. I don't need to woo my wife. I don't need to write her poems. That was from before. That's nonsense. 
I'm saved and so I follow Jesus. I'm saved so I do my best to be close with Jesus. Um, I'm going to skip over. I went way off track, and so I'm going to jump through a couple of my verses here. Um, There's an interesting spot here. Jesus has been preaching, and all these folks are ignoring him um, and rejecting him. He performs miracles, and they're not interested in his words. They're more interested in the miracles. And then Jesus stops and says to his disciples, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent, mind you. Not because they didn't believe the miracles, not because they chased him out, not because they punched him, not because they spit on him, but because they didn't turn around and go the other way. Right? And in fact, I'm going to guarantee you in a town where people are lame and blind and poor and starving and everything else, a man who can come through and perform miracles was popular. But he wasn't popular enough to get them to turn around and go the other way. Um, and so Jesus begins to denounce him. He says, Woe to you, Charizon. My pronunciation is terrible. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre or Sidon. By the way, a quick aside, Tyre and Sidon are cities that have been around for hundreds of years. And if you read the prophets, these are cities that like get denounced over and over again with things like, you guys are in trouble, God is going to squish you. You guys are in trouble, God is going to get you. You guys are in trouble, like death is coming because of your sins. And Jesus says, listen, it's worse to not repent like to me than, than to be those guys. Um, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, you will be exalted. Um, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought low down to hell. For if mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, I'm going to transfer this passage into a modern context. Sodom, everybody knows about Sodom, right? That's like angels raining fire from the sky, like men gathering around and trying to like sexually assault like these, these fellas. And like we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and how bad they were. Jesus is saying, listen, those of you who've seen me, those of you who have encountered me, those of you who know me and you don't repent, you don't turn and go the other way, you don't pursue like this intimate relationship with me. You don't like become poor in spirit, realizing that like I'm here for you and you need me. Like for those guys, Sodom's in better shape. I mean, like the church has a habit of, of staring down our noses at different groups, right? But in reality, like if we're not if we're not walking in, in like this new way of life, if we're not turning and becoming new people, we can hear the gospel over and over again. We can see miracles. We can perform miracles. But at the end of the day, we're in trouble because all of that stuff is sideways, right? Like that's all, that's all dressing on a cake, right? Like it's the frosting on the cake. The cake, the substance is new life in Christ. The substance is suddenly becoming like this person that loves your neighbor, that loves God more than anything, that serves, that that is different through and through, not just faking it or not just wearing the religious garb, not just saying the right words. Um, I know it's kind of warm in here, so I'm I'm, I'm hoping I still got you all still awake. Uh, I'm going to skip over that one. I am way long, all over the map. Um, There's a... When Jesus called Matthew, who was a tax collector, by the way, tax collectors were hated more than anyone else in the world at this point in history. And we all love tax collectors now. They were frequently murdered in the street, were more polite, um, but doesn't mean we wouldn't want to. 
<laughs> and Levi, who is Matthew, wrote the Gospel of Matthew. Um, this is Jesus shows up, finds Matthew, calls him out, eventually changes his name, says, I'm going to go to your house for lunch. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees, the church folks, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered him, those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, listen, I would rather sit down and have lunch with a bunch of folks who know they need a doctor, a bunch of folks who know they need me, than a bunch of folks who think that they got it all together, Right? Um, I would rather folks come to repentance. I would rather people recognize that they're screwing up, change their heart, change their direction, um, and walk with me, have faith in me, become brand new, than folks who think that I'm blessed to have them following me. Right? Um, I hope, deep down, I use my marriage as an analogy because this is, I've learned so much from, about God from this, and I'm trying to explain in ways that you all understand. Um, I hope that my wife much prefers the version of me that is grateful that she's my wife. Right? I hope that's the truth. I think it is. Because the arrogant version of me was kind of a jerk. Right? God desires us to be thankful that we belong to him. To be thankful that we're a part of the family of God in this place. To be thankful that Jesus took our sins on his back like when we didn't deserve it. When we didn't have anything we could do. When we were his enemies, he died for us. Um, I'm going to call my guys forward. This is a communion Sunday. Um, and I'm going to um, call our guys forward. I want to explain. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the, the night that he was like, he was going to the cross. He was going to be executed. He was going to take the sins of the world on himself. Like, he gathered up his disciples be bread first um or i always get the order backward he gathered up his disciples um and he passed his cup around and he said to them take this and drink it this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins um, do this in remembrance of me and what he was talking about was this idea we recognize jesus died for me Jesus shed his blood for me, and we drink his blood. Like, we take it and we drink it as a symbol of the fact that we are taking this deep inside us, and we're changing our hearts, we're becoming new people because Christ died for us. Um, if you are a person who has faith in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, we welcome you to take communion with us um, and take it when you feel ready. Um, but this is Jesus' blood poured out for us. His death so that you could be close to God, so you could repent and have it mean something, so you could become new people.